This episode of Crossing Broadcast is brought to you by the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, where you can get the best insight into all of your teams, into all of the things that matter the most to you, with four people who are credentialed to go down and cover these respective teams. There is no team in Philadelphia that gives you better insight without having to pay a monthly fee than the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Of course, that includes shows such as the one that you're listening to today, Crossing Broadcast, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, which also airs Mondays from 5 to 6 p.m. on 610 ESPN Radio, Snow the Goalie, which will be airing on 610 ESPN Radio in the next few weeks, as well as It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia to cover the Philadelphia Union, Crossing Broad FC, where you can get your international soccer news, and Broadlines, where they have multiple shows going up to give you all of the insight that you need with all the betting trends and everything to do with the Philadelphia Eagles and Philly teams and college football. So make sure you go check out those shows. They're all linked in the description of this episode. With that said, let's get on with today's Crossing Broadcast. Apparently everything isn't down and gloom and doom as the Philadelphia Eagles rebounded from a very disastrous loss to the Detroit Lions with one heck of a win over the Green Bay Packers. Today we'll also be getting into Brett Brown's media luncheon, some Sixers topics, Joel Embiid's questionable tweets, the Flyers going abroad, and of course the Philadelphia Phillies finally ending what has been a disappointing season. Of course there are going to be a couple of other things, including things uh, around one of the radio stations in town as well as, uh, well, some other stuff that you're going to want to hang around for later in the episode. But before we get into all that, of course, I'm Russ Joy at Joy and Broad, joined as always by Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Kevin, apparently you're a a recognizable guy these days. Russ, it's great to be with you on the Crossing broadcast on a Sunday night or whenever you're listening to the podcast. Uh, And yeah, we are, uh, you know, I, I come into this podcast with a little bit more motivation. Um you know, I, I, a little more, uh, you know, as some affirmation that we're mm. doing the right thing, I think is the word that I'm looking for some affirmation. Uh, not that you and I need to have sunshine blown up our ass because we don't, you know, I think we're, we're fairly straightforward and down to earth people. But, uh, I was up in your neck of the woods on Saturday. We oh, yeah. were in the great Schuylkill County. Oh, Hey now. Schuylkill County. I had to actually double check on a map because I wasn't sure if I was in Berks County or Schuylkill County. I was rather embarrassed because, um, number one, I'm pretty good at geography. And number two, I went to high school in Berks County. So I feel like I should know what the, where the border is. But, mm-hmm. um, I took the wife and daughter up to Hawk Mountain up in the oh, neck yeah. of the woods. Yeah. Hadn't been up there in, uh, 18 years. I was just like itching to get out of the city and like go take a hike before it gets all cold and shitty in the, uh, you know, six or season starts and whatever, you know. So sure. um went up there, um, hanging out in the sanctuary. We were gearing everybody up. Had uh my daughter Cammy uh in the uh you know, the uh carrier and she was hanging out front, you know, kicking her feet and blah 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 or whatever and uh, a guy is sitting there and he says, Hey, are you uh are you Kevin from the crossing broadcast? I recognize your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. I'm I'm being a hundred percent honest here. Um I go, yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, thanks for listening. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, he's like, we, I listened to the podcast. I recognize your voice and we had a nice, uh, a nice chat. So that was very, uh, very cool and very random. We have, uh, we have reached Schuylkill County. That's really good. I'm yeah. glad to hear it. Well, he I mean, wasn't from figured, Schuylkill County. I figured County, as much, so. but that's, he no, was from, okay. he was from down our way, but we, we've, uh, 
you know, we made a, we contacted each other there. So go figure, you know, but it was cool. Yeah. It was a good hike. Uh, you know, it was nice to have a, I, I enjoyed the Thursday night Eagles game. Um, you know, cause it was like, you, you know, wipe away the shitty taste from the lions game right away. You know, like, sure. let's just get over it. I, I think, you know, when, when Doug Peterson comes out and says, we're not even going to watch the film of the lions game. Yeah. Good. Whatever. You know, and toss it in the trash, move on to the next one. And I feel like they just came out with a better game plan. Um, the defense finally got some takeaways, made some plays and I mean, that's massive, man. Cause they would have been one and three coming home against the jets, beat the pitiful jets, probably go to two and three. And then you got three straight road games. It could have got ugly fast, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and let's also kind of get this one squared away. The, the Detroit Lions, not a very good football team. But, um, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week who said, you know, I, I would have rathered beat the Lions and lose to the Packers. And I was like, no, I, I actually prefer the way that this went down because I don't think that there's any disputing that the Eagles are a better team when healthy. Uh, even even in the state that they were in, they should have beaten Detroit. But knowing who they were missing and the fact that Carson Wentz was was rolling out there with a depleted set of weapons certainly doesn't uh, make the game on on the surface something that you would um, you know hold up there as as something that you would expect from this team going forward. So you look at it and it's like losing to Detroit is fine insofar as you know that you're a better team. Going on the road and, and taking on an undefeated Packers team at Lambeau and going in and you know I I would I would say. It wasn't a domination because it's a seven-point win, and if Nigel Bradham manages to you know catch that pick six earlier in the game, then maybe it gets a little bit ugly. Um, but to go into Lambeau, take down an undefeated Packers team, you're still going up against Aaron Rodgers. Still a, a you know a very good test for your defense and for a secondary that's been depleted and and is honestly not up to snuff and and is probably the weakest part of the team. It it says it says something about you when you're able to rebound. But notice who they had back for that game, and of course that was Alshon Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what happens when your franchise quarterback has one of his biggest weapons to rely on uh, when things get tough. So, well, and I think what Nelson Aguilar finished with something like one. Did he have one target <laughs> in that game after after having the game prior where he had the, the fumble and the the third down drop? Um, it was a dreadful. Like he he had one heck of a week, man. Like of of yeah, all the yeah. of all the the Eagles and like here's the thing. Like, Imagine having two touchdowns in a game and just getting ragged nonstop. What? And you're the top. You're the topic of a meme with the the unlike Aguilar guy who's on his fiftieth uh, uh, minute of fame at this point. And uh, you know, I I just it's it's funny because uh, it just it it felt like in the Detroit game and and this entire year, save for like two quarters in the Redskins game where they just turned it on in the second half, right? Where they were just rolling. The mm-hmm. thing that made the the twenty seventeen Eagles so good is that they were so like symbiotic and they were so good at kind of feeding off of each other and uh, each other and building momentum from unit to unit. Whereas sure. the offense would go out and score early. The defense would play with a lead. They would put you into uh, obvious passing downs and they would be able, be able to tee off on the quarterback. And then it would just like snowball, man. It would turn to this biggest uh uh, cumulative kind of snowball where teams just looked up and they were down by 14, 20 points or whatever, you know? So yep. um, the last year's Eagles team and this year's Eagles team just have not been able to string those together for whatever reason. You know, it's like you go down and score and then you allow a hundred yard kickoff return, you know, or the offense has a nice like eight play 70 yard drive takes like six minutes off the clock and the defense lets their offense come all the way down the field. It just didn't seem like 
they were ever able to sort of like sustain momentum you know they they were able to build it in spurts but they couldn't just sort of like carry it you know what i mean yeah and um you know in the packers game they really were able to do that because if if you think about some of um i think one of the biggest things actually i did this in the takeaways column for friday morning was that they had some really really good field positioning starts you know when miles sanders had the big um the big return there they started on green Bay's 34 33 34 something like that scored a touchdown the next one, Mason Crosby had the illegal procedure, kicked the ball out of bounds. They started on the 40, scored a touchdown. Um, the next one was the turnover, the uh, Aaron Rodgers fumble. Green Bay 17, they scored a touchdown. So they went punt, punt, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown because they just had better field position to start. And that was a, just an example of them finally taking you know, that, that inter-unit kind of momentum and being able to carry it. And I just didn't feel like they were, able, they were doing that at any point this year. No, I agree. Um, I, I was just looking at this because we were talking about Nelson for a second, and you uh, you brought up, did he have a single target? He had one in that last game. He did have and, one, okay. And, and since you brought up 2017, like that made me kind of go back, and I'm, I'm sitting here half listening to you, no offense, and then also looking over the last two years. So in 2017, like you look at targets for Aguilar in any given game, and, and this is where it, it, it went. 5, 7, 6, 8, 4, 3, 7, 12, 4, 3, 12, 11, 13. Now, those are alphabetical. Those weren't like week like week by week. You look at 2017 you were reading. Yeah, that was there. 2017. Okay, so mostly single digits, mid-single mid digits, and then a few, like, what was it, four games of, of double-digit targets. 2018, 10, 7, 10, 7, 5, 6, 4, 2, 6, 2, 12, 12, 14. Okay, fine. And you look at this year so far. And this is where I think things got a little bit skewed. So he had five targets in week one. He had 11 in week two. He had um, 12 in week three. That was the Detroit game where they were missing Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. And then only one against the Packers. And I, I guess this is where I, I come back to, like Nelson Aguilar, I think is good for what he is. And, and what he is is a third option on a good team. Yeah, he's never been a number one guy. Yeah. And his, his you know, I, I would argue that probably in one of his best years, which was like, I thought 2017 was a really solid year for him because he wasn't being relied on in, in a crazy amount. You look at the amount of targets that he had, and he was really more of a of a consistent threat and also like a guy who kind of took the top off the defense in spurts in 2017. He wasn't a guy that was going to be like a Deshaun kind of blowing the top off. Yeah. But when, when they do so many checkdowns and what what's really been a, I don't know, like a, a key feature of the Doug Peterson offense and Carson Wentz under center, I guess I shouldn't even say under center as much as like just from the shotguns where he takes the primary amount of his snaps. I have it written like, down right here somewhere. Al, like Nelson Aguilar is a guy who, you know, he's he's somebody that you can run from time to time, but he's not going to be a, a nine reception a game guy. He's not yeah. somebody that you should be looking for double digit times per game. And especially like when you have Deshaun and Alshon, like he really should be a guy who gets maybe six, seven targets. And I think mm. you can make the case that like Matt Collins has done a, a pretty decent job. Um, you know, Ortega Whiteside, like not so much yet, uh, had a huge drop in that Detroit game that, you know, looms large. But you think about it, like all things considered, and I, I guess this is where I'll come back to like letting Nelson off the hook a little bit. You know, Nelson drops what should have been a game winning touchdown. Um, Ortega Whiteside drops one that should have been a game winning touchdown. You're two drops away from being four and oh. And, you know, I, I think that part of the reason that you went out and got Deshaun Jackson and, and part of why, you know, you you pair him with Alshon is so that you don't have to put too much of a spotlight on a guy like Nelson Aguilar, who hasn't really risen to the occasion all that much in his career. It takes a lot of the pressure off of young guys like Mac Hollins. And then of course, like Ortega Whiteside, who, 
you know, a lot of fans were clamoring for getting a lot of snaps early in the season. You know, by having dynamic guys that play off each other well, like Deshaun and Alshon, you don't need to rely on those guys as much in big moments. And I think, you know, if nothing else, this little stretch here of Alshon being out and Deshaun being out really kind of emphasizes for you just how important those guys are going to be this season, and especially as you make what is hopefully a, a lengthy postseason run. Well, and they went more... You know, they went they went more twelve personnel the other night with both of the tight sure. ends with Dallas Goddard back. You know, they hit some of their bread and butter with Zach Ertz on those you know, those little seams and the the mesh concepts that they run to perfection, uh that they ran to perfection wait, he, in twenty seventeen. Wait, Zach Ertz wasn't traded? I, I thought oh, wow, okay. Saw on saw on Twitter that uh that's me. That he was that he was fart sounding you for, for he was almost uh, almost traded to Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, I saw that, um, that also got also got backtracked to uh, some picks. I guess one of the painted lines guys. Um, I think is it Austin? Is that his name? I think we follow each other on Twitter. Was. I can't remember yet. I think his name's Austin. Um, I guess what did he say? He said that there was going to be a that there was an offer, a trade offer on the table that the Eagles were um, and that the Jacksonville owner Zach, nixed it. Look, I guess Zach Ertz let me a draft pick. Let me apologize to this guy. If he's if he's got legit sources and like this is a real thing, and then it eventually like comes out. Like I'll eat crow on this, but like I I do worry, and I think it's just like anything else. You worry that somebody's putting something out there with the intention of of getting a following, or of it kind of mm-hmm. going going wild. Well, and I see some residual kind of like some of their guys are getting offended too that people were like calling them out uh, because. You know, and trying to say, like, and, and just, like, you know, sticking up for themselves, saying, well, we have good sources, we trust our sources, you know, blah, 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 stuff like that. I mean, what what else what would, else would you expect them to say, you know? But, you know, like, Brian yeah. Brian Jacobs had, was ahead of a lot of stuff on uh, on uh, free agency night uh, sure. with the Sixers. But, um, yep. I mean, it's one, it's one thing to have, you know, a good Sixers source versus, like, um, you know, trying to, trying every, to, trying to build that source. with the Eagles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, in, in a way, you'd say, like, they were kind of like backing themselves up by talking about another, you know, another sport entirely. It's like two different things, you know, like I still have a bunch of union sources. I don't bother trying to cultivate anything Sixers, you know, so it just seemed, yep. it seemed kind of wonky to go back to that. But um, no, I mean, they just relied more on Zach Ertz and, and they got Dallas Goddard involved. I think he had three catches. I really, really like that little screenplay that they called for him. Yep. Uh, they ran the football. You know, it's, it's interesting because um, <laughs> I mean, how often do you say that like a three touchdown night, for a quarterback is like a game manager kind of thing, you know, but w- when you look at his chart, um, you know, he didn't complete a single pass beyond 15 yards <laughs> the other yep. night. He didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I just pulled it up right here. He's got three, he tried three beyond 20 yards and he missed on all of them. Um, but he's had three touchdowns and he was 16 for 20, whatever the hell, 27 or whatever. Right. So I think it was less, it's less about Carson Wentz, uh, I, I, I saw that narrative kind of creeping in there. I, I saw it. I saw it on Twitter, you know, a little bit of like, okay, well, they they didn't ask Carson to do too much. Um, but is that the same as saying you're a game manager? I don't think that's necessarily the same. I mean, I think that they have these weapons and you got to use them, you know, run the football. The Packers were not that good against the run coming in. So you run the football, you know, you had two good tight ends. You game planned for 12 personnel in Atlanta before the Dallas Goddard injury. And so you were able to game plan for that now when he was healthy. So, um, by the way, too, I don't know why they going back to that real quick, the, the Atlanta game. I don't know why you would game plan for 12 personnel when you're always only carrying two tight ends on the roster. You know, Alex yep. Ellis should have been on the roster the whole time. If that was going to be a big part of what you wanted to do, you know, he's had two nice blocks actually uh, on rushing touchdowns in recent weeks, but yeah, I don't know. Do you do you buy any of that? I mean, Carson, d- does a game manager hit three touchdown passes and convert two sneaks and 
um, do a good job. Of, well, I guess they do by definition do a good job of like protecting the ball and not coughing it up. It's, it's just hard for me to to follow a, a, a game manager type of narrative when you think about a guy who threw three touchdown passes. You know, I like I. This is how I view one of them was the a screen. one of them was a screen, of course. But. Yeah, like here's I think this is how I how we view it. There were some throws that I thought Carson made in the Detroit game that I didn't think were I thought they were ill advised passes. Um, and, and I, I did a gift thread on Twitter and people were angry about it, I guess. But like, one of the things is like when, when you're trying to force a pass to Darren Sproles on the sideline, like that to me isn't a good play. When you miss Dallas, uh, Goddard running, I think it was, I think it was on a mesh play. Um, and you miss him, you, you miss him running open to the end zone, uh, going across the field to try to dump it down to Darren Sproles, like in, in space. Yeah. Like that's not a good play to me. I think that what we've seen is Carson Wentz has the ability to fit the ball into very tight windows. And I think a lot of times it catches some of his receivers, mm-hmm. especially these these guys who are like number three, four, five on the roster. I think it catches them off guard, which is why I think you see guys like um, Ortega Whiteside, you know, unable to come down with a ball from time to time. You know, it's it's just like one of those things where like, as a receiver, you kind of think in the back of your mind, like, okay, maybe there's a chance, but like, I'm double mm-hmm. covered. Like, am I really going to get this ball thrown in? And if so, like, I, I know that you can't think of all these things like in, in the moment, but like, mm-hmm. there is an expectation that like, all right, I'm double covered. Like there, there's no way this ball gets here. And then it does. And then you're kind of surprised and you don't end up making the play. Carson has the physical ability to do it. I think that he's shown from time to time that like, sometimes the throws that he is able to get into a tight window might not be the most catchable ball and it and it causes problems especially for those lower guys on the depth chart now look Deshaun Jackson Alshon Jeffrey do I expect those guys to make the play absolutely do I expect Zach Ertz to do it yeah I think Dallas Goddard shown that he's got good hands he Mm -hmm. could probably do the same Mm -hmm. thing too but there's like a certain there's a certain level that I, I think of responsibility that comes to the quarterback um, when it comes to throwing to guys that are lower down on the depth chart. Maybe yeah, you don't try yeah. to fit that ball into a tight window. You have to find a guy in space. And I think Carson, you know, if you're going to say it was a game manager kind of thing, you know, I think he did a better job of finding guys in space with time, not throwing to a, a spot on the, or like not throwing to where the guy is at, but like leading him on a pass. I think we saw a more confident Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. And if ultimately like what we saw against Green Bay is what this team can do, where there's a better balance attack, where you're seeing Jordan Howard go out running north to south you're seeing that change of pace and the explosive burst that Miles Sanders can give you. And and quite frankly, you're not seeing as many snaps or or design plays for Darren Sproles. Like, I think that, like, if you add all those things up and Carson Wentz only has to throw the ball, you know, 13 or so yards downfield mm-hmm. and he's doing it effectively and it's leading those guys to be successful, then it's not bad. Like, I, I get that he can go for, Whoa. like, he, he could go for 350, sure. But, like, if he doesn't have to, then cool. Right? Yeah, that was an accident, by the way. I, I've... Was trying to turn my phone off and I hit the That's sound, sound drop. Soundboard, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, NFL Next Gen Stats actually does track. Um, they chart. They they call it aggressiveness. So it's AGG percentage, and the way if this is for quarterbacks and passing like in a tight window. So the way that they, they the way that they define it is aggressiveness tracks the amount of passing attempts a quarterback makes that are into tight coverage uh, where there is a defender within one yard or less of the receiver at the time of the completion or the incompletion. Um, AGG is shown as a percentage of attempts into tight windows over overall passing attempts. So this is reflected when in Carson Wentz. Um, he is at 15.9% aggressiveness. So for example, um, the guy at the very top of the aggressiveness chart is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, 
fits magic. Fits magic, yeah, but that would make sense because you know, and there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of various variables to consider here, here because it's not necessarily a measure of just if a quarterback is throwing into tight windows. It's a measure of like, are your receivers getting any separation at all? You know, it's also a measure of do you have receivers who are good like tight window hands kind of guys like um like Mike Evans or Al- Alshon Jeffrey or Zach Ertz or whatever, right? You know, um. So I think because of Carson Wentz now has Deshaun and he threw those big passes to him in the first game of the year, I think that's why his AGG percentage is a little bit down. But another good way to to, to chart it is that next-gen stats does a completion percentage versus a, versus an expected completion percentage. And that's kind of charted with like the same like yardage and, and tight window, whatnot kind of stuff. So Carson's expected completion percentage is 64.7, but he's only completing – 60.7% of his passes. So he's actually a minus four on the plus minus. But you know what? Everybody was, you know, Carson Wentz is one of the things that people used to defend him last year was that his completion percentage was really, really up, you know? But one of the reasons it was really, really up is because he was throwing a lot of like six and seven yard bullshit to Zach Ertz, you know? You know yeah. He wasn't throwing like back shoulder stuff for, for Alshon Jeffrey. He didn't have, um, you know, deep balls left and right and stuff like that. He was actually really, really bad at those last year. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't, I don't necessarily buy the game manager narrative so much as it's just the Eagles came out. I thought they just came out with a better, a better game plan. They just used their weapons a little bit better. They ran the football, um, the play call, the play calling was just better overall. You saw more of their shotgun play action, RPO kind of stuff timing routes, mesh, seam, stuff like that. And that's kind of what their bread and butter was over the years. So, um, you know, teams catch up to that. But, you know, like in the other night, if they can't, if you bring it back and they can't stop it, then just just stay with it for now, you know? Yep. I feel good about the Eagles. Yeah, I feel better too. Yeah, sure. They'll they'll, they'll beat the Jets and then um, Minnesota doesn't. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. I turned the Minnesota game off because I was watching the Union game and it was in a lightning delay. And so I was watching Minnesota and the Bears and uh, Minnesota was losing like 16 nothing, and just getting clubbed um, by that defense. So, yeah, maybe they're a different team at home, but I I've, I think everybody should feel a lot better about the Eagles for sure. Kurt Cousins, you like that? Kurt, like that? Kurt Cousins. <laughs> oh, don't call him that. Come on. All right, um, let's uh, let's talk about other things that are disappointing. Let's talk about the uh, Philadelphia Phillies for a moment. Want to do a post mortem on the, on the Philadelphia? Yeah, Phillies? I mean, so there were a couple things that came out today. Uh, one was uh, Bryce Harper before the game, addressing the fans, grabbing the mic, and uh, you know, saying to the the fans that you know he he gave them a, a big thank you from him and his family for welcoming them to the city, and then he uh, he said, "We will reign again," which I thought was interesting. Um, I guess it's what you would expect. He had a good season. Like, I think all things considered, like you talk about the kind of the, the burden, the weight of the contract. And at the beginning of the season, you know, we, I think if you had said, you know, if Bryce, if Bryce Harper goes out and, you know, manages to, to put up some solid numbers, if he hits anywhere like 30 plus home runs, if he, you know, drives in over a hundred runs, are you happy for the first year? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, I think you would have been, he finishes the season hitting 259, whatever. But he's got 35 home runs, 114 RBI, scored 98 runs, stole 15 bases. Like, I think all things considered, like, he was just under a four war. Um, like, that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, his like, OPS I, I, is, you know, 883 OPS. I mean, when he was an all-star in 2016, he finished with an 814 OPS. You know, he had a 768 the year prior to that, 854, 817. It's funny because, like, it's – I don't – I think, like, early in the season people were saying – 
were like expecting more from Bryce Harper and it just never seemed, I think like some of us were sort of sitting back and saying, well, I mean, he's kind of like on track to do what he does, you know, like even early he was pacing out to do, to, to hit kind of around his averages, you know, I think people yep. just keep thinking $330 million in their head and they can't kind of, kind of get around that figure. But, um, when you pull it up and you look through everything he's done in the past, I mean, it kind of pretty much matches up. Does it not? Well, yeah. And I, I think one of the more, um, like one of the, the bigger positives I think that you saw this year versus last year is last year, his defensive war was, um, like it was in the negative it was minus 3.2. Yeah, yeah. And this year he came out like a, as a, as a flat zero, which is fine. Like, I think any kind of improvement like that matches hit his pace from 2017. Like that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I, th- I think that was like one thing. And, and look, you know, you could, you could say a lot about, um, you know, how he did as a, as a player and like, you know, was he underwhelming earlier in the season? And I guess I would, I would kind of point back to, you know, one of the things that I think was an absolute killer for the Phillies this year. And it was Reese Hoskins absolutely bottomed out in the second half of the year. He yeah, was non-existent. Yeah, Jesus. Um, you know, JT Real Muto, I thought was probably the brightest spot or one of the brightest spots on best, on a, best a catcher pretty, in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. As like a, a pretty mundane season. I thought he was excellent. It's just ridiculous. How, well, and another thing too, is that I don't know if this says much about Andrew Knapp or JT Real Muto or, or both of them really, but the drop off from your all-star starting That's catcher. Enormous. Teams. <laughs> so, I mean, dude, if they had, if they had lost Real Muto at any, at any point this season yeah, for an extended period, yeah. I mean, they, they, I mean, they finished the season, uh, what at 500 so, and, and like that, that kind of, I guess, made sense because they were, they were a mediocre team. But like for a team that ended up losing Andrew McCutcheon mm-hmm. was never able to yeah, rebound. Yeah. They lost McCutcheon. They lost Zubel Herrera to the domestic violence uh, uh, suspension. God, yeah. They came into the season with an absolutely dreadful uh, rotation. Mm-hmm. Aaron Nola couldn't win them a big game down the stretch. He he went through some some pretty rough stretches this season. Yeah. Jake Arrieta was clearly on the decline when he came in. He was your number two starter, and then you went three through five with a bunch of question marks. And you know, at the end of the season, yeah. I I don't know, man. Like going five hundred with all those variables and the fact that like the bullpen exploded, imploded, Dave Robertson was out. Like I don't know if you put all those things together. Like would would anybody believe that the team could have finished five hundred? Well, like, I, I don't know. I know that. See, here's the thing. Like I'm gonna be completely honest here. Like you know that I don't watch a lot of Phillies baseball because we got Bob doing fills for the site, Anthony and Bob do the podcast, you know, so with those two guys, we have, that's our, our Phillies coverage is set. You know, why do you need me to write about baseball when we got a, a South Jersey baseball coach of the year to write about, <laughs> write about baseball? There you right? go. That's right. So, you know, that's cause right. I got, I got, that's a, my coach. That's my coach. That's, yeah. That's my quarterback. Um, I got enough on my plate trying to, trying to sound like respectable when it comes to basketball and, and football and everything else anyway, you know, so it just doesn't make a ton and, of uh, sense for me. And to, fusion and overwatch and overwatch, yeah, you know, and all the other yeah. stupid bullshit I write about. Um, but I, so I, Brett Brown often uses the term, uh, pre-mortem. Like he says, if you're going to ask me about a pre, if you're going to give, if I'm going to give you a pre-mortem of, you know, what the problem might be, it would be blah, blah, blah. Right. Like mm-hmm. Ben Simmons can't shoot or we can't space the floor or like Jimmy Butler can't, is just going to dribble around a bunch, you know? So like me not being much of a baseball guy, but having watched enough last year to form at least a basic opinion, um, I think I said to you guys like at the beginning of the year, like, like, are we sure this pitching staff is going to be any different than they were last year? I think you could blame a lot of things this year. I mean, you can say whatever you want to say about Gabe Kapler, about the roster construction or whatever the hell, but 
uh, well, I guess this would point to the latter, but the pitching staff was was the same, was pretty much the same damn thing you ran out, you know? So yep. it seems like there's more naivete in, I mean, if, if, if you're going to like put a gun to my head and say you got to like point to just one problem specifically, I mean, it's Matt Klintak and it's the guys behind him, you know? I, I don't think that Gabe Kapler lit the world on fire, but I don't know if any manager could have done a lot done much more with that pitching staff you know what i mean um i think the i think the no, pre I, I think I, if, I think if you go back to the pre-mortem i think that's probably what ended up happening right yeah i mean i think that's they were kind of dead on arrival it was just that there were some some flashy moves that i think you know got got everybody believing that this could be a good season it, even if you look back at the first few games of the season when um i'm trying to think what the name was that we gave the uh the former top of the the lineup that ended up down uh at six seven eight but like you had a double Herrera the Latin hitting quarter. Is that what we were calling him? I think that, yeah, that yeah. might've been it where like you had a double and Cesar Hernandez hitting down at the bottom of the lineup and you're like, and Mike Franco, who was like the best eight hole hitter, uh, for like the first like month. Well, the, so jo- the, the running joke was like, well, yeah, right. Cause these guys were hitting like two, three, four last year, one, two, three. And now yep. they're hitting six, seven, eight. Look how, look how strong this. And we thought they were just going to bash 10 runs in every night, which well, was, and, and they, <laughs> Yeah, which is and again, year. like I, you know, Andrew McCutcheon was a guy who they relied on so heavily early in the season. And Gene Segura, while he doesn't hit for power, was was hitting for average and was hitting so well that it just kind of felt like no matter what, you were going to have somebody on base when your your big three of Hoskins, Harper, and Real Muto came up. Like that, that was the thing that it felt like was going to carry them through. And then, like, yeah, if you have a double hitting six, like now all of a sudden it's like you've got somebody who's got speed who also like can can pop one. It felt like this offense was going to be a thing that could carry them and overcome the yeah, the, yeah. the issues that they were going to have in the rotation. Problem is that, like like I mentioned before, three, four, five. You know, you've got Eflin and Vince Velasquez to name two of them that are like you know guys that that really I, I don't think you could have gone into a season relying on all that much. I think on any team, either of those guys would have been like a five, maybe arguably a four. Right. The plan was nothing more than. We hope these guys are better this year. I mean, right? Yep. There wasn't anything. It, it wasn't more. There wasn't more to it than that, you know. And and so when people say, "Well, the the roster was top heavy," I mean, I guess it was, you know. Now I know yep. that Bob is kind of a Gabe guy. Anth- Hashtag Gabe um, guy. Anthony is not. Um, Hashtag not I'm a Gabe kind guy. of neutral because I don't really I don't really have enough in, um, information to make a educated uh, opinion on that, but. Like, like for example, like Joe, you know, Joe Madden is the, the trendy name today, right? Sitting there drinking a Corona during his final, um, immediate, uh, availability or whatever, right? How many, mm-hmm. how many more wins does this team, this, this most recent team, the 2019 Phillies, how many more wins does the 2019 Phillies have if, if Madden is coaching them? I don't know. I don't know because uh, are we assuming that all the injuries and everything are the same? Same, same exact thing. Same exact thing. Uh, maybe maybe like two or three. I guess the question is how many right, games? Like I, how many? Another way to ask the question is how many games did Gabe Kapler lose them this year? Well, I think uh, I don't know because I, I think you can go back to certain decisions that he made. Like think of think of opening day, right? Aaron Nola is breezing through, and then Gabe pulls him early. Yeah. Right yeah. to play a matchup, yeah. and, you, and you're kind of like, this is not like this is one of those things that you were supposed to get away from. Yeah from the way that you managed last year. And I think like over the course of the season, he wasn't nearly as, uh, as egregious in some of the decisions that he made that drove so many people crazy last year. Mm-hmm. But like, 
I don't know, like you could have put, here's the thing, like, you know, some people would have argued like Joe Girardi, you know, maybe he would have been able to like bash some guys in the face Mm -hmm. and that would have, you know, really lit a fire under them. And you look at a guy like Madden, but like Madden's also somebody who's experimental as well. So I don't know if if you could have said, like, is he, is he a a better manager? Absolutely. Yeah. Like he has a better track record, right? He's, he's won a world series. Like, okay. So from that, from that vantage point, like you say, all right, maybe he wins you a few more games, but I, you know, I don't necessarily know if Gabe Kapler is a good manager. Right. I think he probably is, is decent with the guys. Yeah. It sounded like Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto came out and were, you know, supportive of their manager, although I I don't know what else you would expect. Like do you expect them to come out and, and say, like, oh, you know, we would have been better if we had somebody who knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Probably not. But like I don't know if he's a good manager. Um, but what I do know is this team was pretty screwed from the get go because I don't think Matt Clentak did a good job of constructing this roster. Yeah, yeah. And I think when Andy McPhail comes out and, you know, says at one point this season, you know, if we do, we do. If we don't, we don't about making the playoffs. I think that just kind of shows that, like, maybe the front office didn't view this season as one where they were going to contend. But yeah. you can't you can't go out and make the, the big signing of Bryce Harper and then sit back and be complacent yeah, you, you and, try either... to, and try to, like, bargain bin shop, yeah. you know, getting rotation help yeah. or bullpen help. Like, it doesn't it doesn't work like, like that. If you're in a... At some point, you've got it. You've got to man up and, and, like, make the moves. Yeah, if right? you're in a non-capped league and you're talking about stupid money, you're saying that money's not an issue. So how, how can you go stupid money on one guy and then try to try to cheap out everywhere else? You know, it's like me wearing, like, a a diamond ring, you know, and a diamond necklace, but I'm going to go complete my outfit at like Foreman Mills or something, you know, like Foreman <laughs> Mills. I'm like, I don't even mean to like offend anybody or whatever, but like, you know, what's two things do not match up. Right. So, um, if you're wearing a, like a $3,000 Rolex watch and you bought your suit at Marshall's, like, or is that, yeah, correct. That like I went up, to, know? like I went out and got, um, Bryce Harper at Saks Fifth Avenue, and then I went to uh, to to Coles to get Jason Vargas, and I but I didn't even I didn't even pay. I used Coles cash for it. You know, you like, just uh, you just really offended a bunch of people who listen to the show. I'm sure. <laughs> like, oh man, I get really good things, man. I get really good value at Coles. No, hey, just... hey, hey! Don't attack my Coles cash. Come on, dude. No, I'm not. I'm Come just, on, Kevin. I'm not making fun of Go your value city. Don't think of any of any of the p- places I picked as like any judgment on those places. I just I just kind of had to pick stuff off the top of my head. But um, sure. I, yeah, I don't. I really don't know, man. I I, th- I think it's like I don't know how you can be. It, the Phillies are the, the only place that I don't know how you ended up being. Like you're either spending money or you're not spending money, you know. But they went and yep. spent a lot of money on one guy, and then Eric Jake Arrieta, and then yep. uh, wasn't the the third um, highest paid player on the team uh, Robertson? I want to say he was like number three. It was like ridiculous. I think at one point, like four of their top five highest paid guys this year were all like on the shelf at once. Check that for me. If you, or if, if yeah, you can. I'm, like, che- I'm checking it right now. So, <laughs> so I remember yeah, doing so the base- story. I was like, because Arietta was having his whatever the hell issue. Robertson this was was on the this shelf. Can't be right. Um, I've got to be looking at the wrong thing. Philadelphia Business Journal did it not long ago. I think maybe that's maybe I was looking at their list and that's where I thought of it. But I don't, I don't know. Like, I think people have more of a. I don't know. If I asked you if if the problems with Gabe Kapler are more like micro and in game management, or if they're more macro like you know not pulling guys for hustling and bullshit like that like do you think one of those issues is more of an issue than the other no i think it's just a combination of both it's those two things are just sort of like on the same exist on the same level one one is not necessarily worse than the other no I, i think it's i think it's just a combination of both and i think it's i think part of the problem that you run into and and the article came out i think it was earlier this week or it might have been 
it might have been last week, um, where two Phillies pitchers were cited anonymously about going off of their plan. Oh, this is the off their pitching story. plan. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I think there have been enough stories now that have come out that have kind of pointed to some kind of discord between either the coaching staff or the way that things have been implemented from higher up. Like, I, I almost think to some extent, like, I, I wonder, you know, if, if you get Gabe Kapler, you have a couple of drinks, you're sitting at the bar, and you ask him, like, were all of these things your decision or how much of this was impacted by your front office? Like, I, I, I kind of feel like we'd end up finding out that, like, Matt Klintak, Mr. Numbers guy is kind of you know influencing the way that Gabe has to go about managing the game mm-hmm. you know and I and I think that that kind of thing happens plenty of times like that happened with the Flyers last year like we started kind of figuring out that like for better or worse Dave Hextall I think was getting a lot of what he was doing from Ron Hextall and who Hextall wanted to see out on the ice and like you can't control I mean it's just like anything else the coach can't control mm-hmm. who's on the roster and who's not yeah. you're kind of at the mercy of of your front office you know it, it's just one of those things that you're not positive about and I don't know. I I think that the only thing to do at this point is you either say, you know, you're going to you're going to go with the narrative that your team was injured. You lost a lot of core guys and that you're going to, you know, get some reinforcements for next season. You're going to run it back. Or I think you have to clean house entirely. Like there's there's no way to me that you can if you're John Middleton, that you can sit back and say, I'm going to keep Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail. And this is all on Gabe Kapler. We're going to get a new voice in. And all of a sudden, like Joe Madden is going to go and and turn this whole thing around or like you're going to get Joe Girardi mm-hmm. to turn the whole thing around at the same time. Like I can't exactly say that like when you see a name like Dave Dombrowski out there that, you know, you want to install him in like McPhail's position or in Clentax position and like watch him gut your farm system to try to like win in the short term. Like, I guess that's one of those things that as a fan base, Phillies fans have to come up with is, you know, do you want to go back to having sus- sustained success for a period of time or do you want to just like push all the chips in in the hope that you know you have a relevant year? I would guess that most Phillies fans would rather be competitive than push everything in on the hope of going to a World Series. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I, I think of all the sports, like if if you asked me what sport would I rather see the team be competitive for a decade and have a, a small chance of winning the World Series or winning their championship. I think the Phillies are the one because the Phillies play in a season where there's really nothing else going on, right? Like Mm -hmm. the summer, the summer, I mean, depending on, on how many sports you like. And of course, everybody who listens to the show is a seven for seven fan. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's the Phillies in the union at some point, like at some point early in the season, sure. Like there's playoff hockey, there's playoff basketball at the end of the season, you start to get into football and the start sort of, of, of hockey and, and later basketball. But like, yeah, the Phillies are like either they're on your radio or on your TV every day in the summer. It, it's almost better to have them be competitive and have them like, you know, carry you through the summer until the other teams come around and maybe they have the better shot. It sucks when the baseball team is bad. It sucks when the baseball team is underperforming mm-hmm. what expectations are. And I think it's the one sport that like more than anything, I think of all the teams in the town, the Phillies are the ones who have to be uh, you know, a, a respectable and somewhat contending franchise throughout the summer. Otherwise, you get levels of apathy and and lack of attendance. Like I think you've seen, especially later in this season, well, it's just it's a shame. Yeah, I'm I'm stunned that like, you know, because on always soccer, we we had talked for years about how the Phillies were rebuilding and like, you know, if there was ever a window for the Union to kind of get in there and steal some momentum or get people to care with a with a winning season, it was it was you know last year, the year before, the year before that. Um, 
I'm like stunned that the Phillies were what they were this year and that the union were great. Uh, like I was flabbergasted to see how that played out. Um, yeah. So between the Phillies and the union, if you say those are the two summer, the two summer Philadelphia teams or whatever the hell, right. Um, this'll, this'll be the union's coming upcoming playoff game will be the first time the a summer Philadelphia team has been to the playoffs since 2012, I guess was the last time the Phillies were in it. Right. Bonkers. Did they get? They didn't get there in 2013. That's when they turned to shit, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yep. the Union made it in 2011. The Phillies made it in 2012, and then it's been 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, seven year. It was a seven year playoff drought between those two teams, which is crazy. Um, well, we will see what happens with that next year, huh? Um, Actually, extend extend that. They didn't make the playoffs in 12. That wasn't the year that they lost to the Cardinals. No, that was 2011. If, I always felt like it was twelve, but no, it was eleven. Uh, so eleven 10, is when they lost to the Cardinals. Oh, so it's been so it's been eight years. So it's, eight yeah, it's been eight years. Yep. Shit. Eight years. Okay, so it was longer than I thought, huh? Because um, they went because they won the World Series, they went to the World Series, then they lost to the uh, San Francisco Giants. The yep. Next year, then it was the Cardinals, and then the Cardinals. Yeah. And the funny thing was, if if you, uh, I made the joke at the time, and I didn't think it was actually going to happen, and I'm pretty sure this is why I believe that the world is just a giant simulation. When they lost to the Yankees, I was like, man, wouldn't it suck if next year they lose in the CS? Then they did. I'm like, wouldn't it suck if they lose in the DS? And then they did. Oh, wouldn't it suck if they missed the playoffs? And then they did. So, yeah, it's all my fault, and I'm really sorry, everybody. Let's talk about um, – let's let's get to the Sixers, but let's segue into the Sixers by talking about the Hollis Thomas thing first. Because um, that has – there's Ooh, a Sixers. Not Hollis Thompson, right? Not Hollis. Hollis not Hollis Thompson, yeah. Um, I almost – I double-checked after I wrote that story. I'm like, shit, did I, I wrote Thomas, right? But um, – Hollis used to come in and do sports in with us all the time. He he was like one of our like regular regulars who would come in like at least like two or three times a year or two or three times during the Eagles season. So I I knew him. I don't like know him, know him, but like um, he did more TV than some of the other guys. So he's out at WIP. Um, and I'll give you the short version of the story since if you're listening to the podcast, I'm sure you're already familiar with what happened. But basically, long story short, um, he's a part timer at WIP he was a part-timer at WIP so he had some side gigs he did some stuff with Green Legion so he does Green Legion radio um mm-hmm. he said so this this all unfolded so he he wasn't on the radio the the weekend the prior weekend I guess of the Lions game or where, where but the weekend before I wrote the damn story I can't remember whatever whatever it was and somebody like texted me and they're like yeah hey, do you know why, why Hollis wasn't on because because Rob was filling in for him Rob Ellis was filling in for him so it was Rob and Rob doing the post-game show um, okay. or doing like the weekend show or whatever the hell. Um, so I guess what happened was he said that he, there was some kind of conflict of interest. Num- number one, he had a, there's like a schedule issue with him going down to Atlanta or something. So there was some kind of like miscommunication on him taking a trip, something that he said he was going to do and they didn't approve it or they approved it and forgot about it. Some shit like that. He, he went and explained it all on Josh Innes's radio show, um, a week later. So, um, but he he does Green Legion Radio, and Chickies and Pete's picked up Green Legion Radio. So like every Monday or Tuesday or whatever the hell day it is, like they go down there and they do the the show from there, the podcast from there, um, which is whatever. I mean, like he's he's a part timer, so he's not really beholden to to the same rules that like a full time contract person is, or so based based on what it says specifically in their contract or in the labor agreement between the whatever the hell union they're part of Bob um, angry Bob is the, is the shop steward. So he runs all the union stuff for him. But point being like Hollis was saying, I'm doing this thing on the side, 
blah, blah, blah. And I guess Spike told him that it was a conflict of interest because, um, you know, Chickies and Pete's, I guess, does all kinds of stuff with WIP, you know? So it's like he was doing Eagles content, Eagles radio for Green Legion there. But he was also, that's where WIP does it too. So, like, why is he doing Eagles for them and then Eagles for WIP too? I mean, I guess that seems weird, but... Um, one of the one of the, here's here's the background that people got to understand here. So, Green Legion obviously organizes trips and tailgates, right? Okay, fans of Philly also organizes trips and tailgates, and fans of Philly does all the WIP trips, right? They organize all of WIP sure. stuff. Uh, fans of Philly also does all of um, Spike's trips for rights to Ricky Sanchez. So if they do fly the process, bust the process, whatever the fuck the process, you know they that they organize that. Right. Um, I think spikes brother in law runs fans of Philly. Right. So now I don't, I don't know if that's a conflict or not. I don't think it's a conflict. Like it's well, it's people, everybody there knows that like there's a family connection there. Um, and it's not like, you know, that they do the stuff for RTRS and for WIP. Right. Okay. And green Legion is a competitor. So what, I mean, I can understand why there would be, you know, some jagged edges there and what Hollis was doing with green Legion. Right. Um, but spike, spike came out actually on Twitter and he was, he was responding to somebody else. And he said, cause people were saying, okay, so let me back, let me back it up. Actually. Hollis was saying that he was given an ultimatum that he had to stop doing what he was doing if he wanted to keep working in WIP. So he decided to walk. Right. Um, and then Josh Innes brought it up on his podcast. He said, well, doesn't spike the rights to Ricky Sanchez, like saying, well, wouldn't that be a conflict of interest too? Um, no, because the reason it's not a conflict of interest, this is Spike telling somebody else is saying WIP is aware of that. It's written into his contract that he owns his podcast. WIP people are allowed to sell sponsorships and other things into RTRS, right? Um, there's a separate part of rights to Ricky Sanchez, which is the radio show that appears on WIP at like six o'clock at night prior to Sixers games and stuff like that. So it's not the reason RTRS is not a conflict of interest is because everybody understands what the parameters are. You know what I mean? Like everybody's following this, right? So, you know, and in Hollis's case, I guess they were saying, well, I mean, the way I understood it was that Green Legion and Chickies and Pete's, okay, that's a conflict of what, you know, what is in WIP's best interest, um, regardless of whether you're a part-timer or not. So I I don't know. I think think the thing when I like try to put all the details together and some behind-the-scenes stuff I know that I didn't like report at the time, it just, it seems like it was a issue that could have been avoided could have easily been avoided like that they could have probably just sat down and said look here's the sticking point how do we get around this like um you can do stuff with with at chickies and pete's but you're doing green legion radio you're doing eagles radio for them you're also doing eagles radio for us like you can do whatever you want with anybody else as long as it's like not eagles i don't know i don't know what the parameters are and i think people got to understand that like there are a lot of natural conflicts of interest that arise everywhere i have one personally okay my wife works for Entercom. I think most people know this. If you've listened to Always Soccer, you know that my wife sells for WIP and WPHT and WOGL and all the Entercom properties, right? So what we have is like a business conduct statement that says, um, my husband works for Crossing Broad, which may or may not be a competitor. I don't give any inside information to him. Okay, I don't write anything for the website that's taken from... Um, uh, you know, information that's proprietary that comes from my wife. Okay. So we have that. That's a statement. It's signed. It says, we have nothing to do with this. Okay. She has nothing to do with me. I don't have anything to do with her. Right. So you can have something like that for, for Hollis, 
you know, and say like, well, I'm going to go do my thing. It doesn't affect what your thing is. This is out in the open. Like everybody's under understanding of what's going on here. There's no issue. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what the hell the, the big problem was. I mean, it, it seems like, um, you know, if Hollis was a part-timer and he wanted to do this side gig, I don't, it, it's not like people would stop listening to WIP because they were listening to green Legion radio. You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know what the threat was here. I've had people, when I worked at channel three, we had part-timers freelancers who worked at NBC 10 too. So like they would go direct a show or technical direct a show or run audio at NBC 10 in the morning. And then they come over to channel three at night and they direct shows for us. You know, that's different from like Yuki Washington going and anchoring with, um, you know, Kathy Gandolfo and then coming back to do channel three with like, Jessica Cartalia, like that's a that doesn't work, but you can do other things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can I be honest? Mm-hmm. I I had never heard of Green Legion before. You never heard of Green Legion before? I hadn't. Is that weird? They run on yeah. I mean, Maybe they're all over Maybe the place, man. They run the the tailgates and the the trips and stuff like that. The big you know, travel packages and things like that. It's it's Green Legion and fans of Philly are kind of like the two the two main groups. You know, fans of Philly is run okay. by Spike's brother in law. Yeah. Huh. Wait, am I following? Maybe I follow them. Do I follow them? I do. I follow Green yeah. Legion. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I, I think they follow okay. all, all of us too. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yes, I've heard of them. They're wonderful. They're great people. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember seeing a video from one of the. I don't remember which one it was, but there was a there was a video that they tweeted out from a trip, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really funny, so I followed them. Okay. But I think I would yeah. say, okay. like, judging, okay. just going through the details and kind of thinking over it again, like I don't. I don't think Spike is in the wrong with anything. Ooh, ooh, then let me play conspiracy theorist. I mean, I think Hollis comes off. I I honestly think Hollis kind of comes off looking bad because he like said some shit about Spike on Josh's podcast. And like, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, everything that the way that Spike explained it on, um, on Twitter made a lot of sense to me. So I don't, I don't think there's anything. Is it possible that there were just hurt feelings or there was a, uh, a long-lasting dispute between the two of them, and this was just kind of like the way for Hollis to kind of spout off, and just was kind of like, I, I don't, I don't care either it way. It did seem like that because Hollis did say uh, on Josh's podcast that um, there was a problem. That he said that Spike had a falling out with a guy named Quimby. Um, this guy, this guy is Craig Quimby. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I, th- I think he's the guy who runs Green Legion. Um, and he said there was a falling out that stems from last year's, uh, LA Rams road trip. So something happened in the past and I guess it was just a strained relationship and like this was just kind of like the final straw or whatever, but it just seems like bullshit to me to to say that rights to Ricky Sanchez is a conflict of interest because that's all in the open. Like Spike is not like hiding anything there. You know, WIP personalities are involved with that. You know, my wife can sell into RTRS if she has a client that wants to do that. So it's like that's that's very open like there's no there's no secret there that's all written down and all those details are hashed out so i don't i don't a conflict of interest only arises usually when you can't find a solution to something you know what i mean yeah yeah i agree all right let's uh let's let's turn the page a little bit here kev let's uh let's leverage a little bit of your hashtag inside access to uh, the brett brown luncheon first of all everybody wants to know what was uh what was served Start there. Oh, um, God, what was served? I don't really eat a lot of those things. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not really a, I mean, you're there for the, the interview and the availability and stuff like that. Kevin doesn't eat. Fancy... He just takes his kid, he takes his kid to, uh, to breweries. So <sighs> doesn't eat. Ever. You don't want to be that dude who's kind of like stuffing, stuffing your face 
with the free food and like I don't know when you're when you're trying to be like, oh, taking no. notes and like um, you know acting professional and stuff. Now they had some decent <laughs> uh, some chicken, some fish. They had some fancy uh, kale salad. I think if the Sixers beat looks like a kale kind of group to you, I'm not sure, but uh, no, it was nice. It was at this place. Oh yeah, there there are some there are some kale eaters over so, yeah, there. Some, some kale, kale chips. Oh yeah, was, definitely. Um, yeah, it was at this place Got called some chia seed some chia seed shake guys over there. I yeah, got it. some. Uh, some uh what's the name of the berry uh the acai, acai. acai berry yeah, oh yeah acai there's berry. oh yeah tom yeah. moore tom moore's over there <laughs> he's no, not, no, no. i don't actually know tom moore he doesn't strike dude. me as an acai no, kind of berry like dude now um so yeah. it was at this place called attico rooftop it was on top okay. of the cambria hotel like right along the main drag of um broad street there but we were like 20 some floors up. it was very nice it was way too fancy for this this uh group of beat writers but I mean, it's a good availability, man. I mean, he um, he had a lot of good things to say. I think. I mean, he he spoke uh, very highly of Ben Simmons working on his jump shot and coming back kind of determined. Uh, and and Ben had those quotes that he made to the Associated Press in another story where he said he kind of like lost his love of the game last year and he wasn't really like loving playing. Um, I don't know if that means that he just didn't like playing with Jimmy Butler. I don't know if there's any between the lines that need to be read there, but um, I think it's pretty clear that Ben had a difficult time adjusting his style of play to work with Jimmy James Butler. And it's to be expected, Kevin, but, you know, it's a great question, and I know you, you know the answer to it, but um, Ben Ben has, has come back to camp with a reinvigorated spirit, and it's something that I think Philadelphia fans are going to be very happy to see. So he said... Um... Brett said, quote, the time that, that Ben has invested over the course of this summer is the best by a long shot that he ever has. Uh, his awareness of this thing in the marketplace, a.k.a. people talking about his shot, like he's saying that Ben's aware that people are talking about this. He says he's prideful, he gets it. His confidence that I saw when he came back to Philadelphia and he played in our gym over the last few weeks stood out. Uh, it's shown as if he had invested time and he was looking forward to showing us, showing his teammates, me, proving it to himself. I feel like he's going to have a tremendous season. He's a 23-year-old all-star. He's invested the time, technique, fundamentally. You talk about hands and feet, his preparation with his feet, his preparation with his hands, his release point. I can go coach speak if you want, but my judgment is going to be his willingness to shoot. So it's, let's hope that that's well, a it's thing. interesting to me. I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I really want to believe in this. I want to believe that he's going to come out shooting and I want to believe that it's going to solve a lot of the spacing issues that they had last year. But I mean, when you, when you take a step back and think about it, we're asking a guy to go from, cause really what it is, Russ is like, and, and you know this, I don't have to tell you, but like in order for him to, to justify having a defender on him, he's got to shoot what? 30% from three. 31 percent 32 percent something yeah. like that. so we're asking a guy i don't to even go know from, honestly i don't even know what it, I, I don't know if it's that high i, I don't know serious. what the I analytics think he, to, i don't I, i'd be interested to see if he's a 25 percent shooter it all comes down to the willingness to shoot because even if he ends up being like a sub 30 percent shooter from deep which would mm -hmm. suck but like even if that were the case it would still mean that he, from time to time, will take that shot. Well, it would make it, even if it, makes even if it ends up being like long twos. Whatever, yeah, like whatever what? would make you th just a percentage to make you think about closing out. Yes, because number one, when you think about Ben Simmons, when you think about like downhill transitional guys in the NBA, I mean, who comes to mind? I mean, Giannis. Giannis. 
Ben Simmons, probably younger, two. younger LeBron, younger LeBron. I mean, LeBron's space, not, yeah. LeBron, he's not there as much. But when anymore. you look at, like, for example, when you look at Tobias Harris attacking closeouts last year on rotations, I mean, he was pretty damn good at it. Now you take a guy like Ben sure. Simmons, if he can justify a, a closeout and attack it, he could be the best closeout attacker in the entire league. Um, but I don't know what that percentage, that three point percentage, is like to get him out there. You know, you're you're asking at the end of the day, we're asking a guy to go from zero percent shooting on zero shots per game to what 30 percent on like three three point like take Maybe three two. take three even, three pointers a game, game and hit one take yeah. two per game and hit one every other every other game i don't i don't know you know um you know i want to believe but, but to me to me i think it's it's more of the mid-range like the mid-range game because we know that that just analytics say that that long twos are the most inefficient inefficient shot on the yeah, court, right? I, I just don't. So if so for if for Ben, if it ends up being like the straightaway three and the corner threes that we've seen him work mm-hmm. on in in shoot arounds for the last two years, like if that ends up being something that they can start to rely on, then it would make a huge difference. I mean, the only thing that I worry about when I look and I and I like think about how this team is going to play is I think. You know, Ben is really best in that Giannis role of of being 100% downhill, going full court, and that's where he's going to thrive. I wonder and I worry slightly that Ben is being taken out of his element with the inclusion of Al Horford into this, you know, into what could be a, a paint packing where you've got almost like a a next level of like the issue that you would have with Dario and Joel playing together where they both occupied a lot of the same I'm space. Talking about the smash mouth, the lane the smash mouth thing. Yeah. Which, which I think is kind of okay insofar as like, I think Al Horford is a better distance shooter than Dario Saric was. I think that he's got better vision. Like I thought Dario was, a, was a solid, you know, passer from the four, but I think Horford is a better ball distributor. Um, I, I just wonder if, Ben is going to continue to be taken out of the role that makes him the most effective, which is him having lanes to the hoop. Now, again, like if he starts jacking up two, three shots from deep a game, and that then causes there to be, you know, guys playing on him instead of off him and and effectively double teaming somebody else off ball, then like maybe that ends up creating, you know, backdoor cuts for Ben to get to the hoop and and make, you know, better use of of that kind of skill set that he's got. I guess it'll, you know, we're going to have to see how this works, um, you know, with this new this new roster. But I don't know. I, I think yeah. that's like the one major concern I have is yeah. like just making sure that this kid is like given the ability and given the space that he needs to be effective. Al Horford shot 36% from three last year. Um, Joel Embiid shot 30% from three. You know, even if, um, you know, if say the worst case scenario comes back and Ben still can't shoot, still can't, won't shoot or whatever. You can still – I know people don't want to do this, but you can still play four out and one in if Joel gets his three-point percentage back up to what it was during his first year, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, look, here's the thing. For for every, And we've, we discussed this, I feel like. like I had this Twitter discussion like every other week when the Sixers are playing, but, you know, I know people don't want to see Joel Embiid hanging out on the on – the, perimeter or whatever the hell but number one it's it's not realistic for a seven foot two 200 whatever pound guy he is now we'll see tomorrow at media day it's just not realistic for him to run rim to rim for like 80 possessions a game like it just it just Mm -hmm. does not happen okay so first of all because of like fitness and whatever it's just not realistic to for him to quote unquote have his ass down in the blocks for every single possession you know 
the Sixers run a motion offense where he's generally inbounding the ball, and because he's the the slowest up the the court, he's the trailing big. Um, he's going to have that trailing three open to him. He shoots the trailing three better than than most bigs, you know. Um, and then you start pulling people out on him, and then what happens there? Ben Simmons is one on one in the paint, so um, I don't think most people would prefer that. But you can also alleviate the space because at the end of the day, like the ultimate goal here is to alleviate a spacing issue. You know what I mean? Because it's just you're trying to put Ben in spots where he's not, you know, they stick him in the dunker spot. They put him weak side under the basket, you know, where he's the the least harm, you know, where he doesn't have to be guarded, where he can just pick up rebounds and, and put backs and stuff like that. But even if Joel steps into that trailing for three and he hits like two of five, three of five, you know, one for four every so often, like a, like a club rotating clip or something like that, that's fine. That's fine because he's still going to get – He's still going to get his looks in the paint, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the trailing three is open in this offense, and especially now it's going to look a little bit different because they made some tweaks to the to the base offense, and which I which I wrote about on the site. But they're going to start Josh Richardson down a little lower. They're going to they're going to hunt corners this year. They're going to try to do it differently because JJ Redick just liked to play it differently. He liked to start up a little higher, so they're going to try to space it out. They're going to put that near side wing down the corner. Um, they're going to try to stretch it out a little bit more. I don't know what that means for the dribble handoff game, but uh, Kyle will be excited to find out, I'm sure. <laughs> um, can I throw a, a, a questionable Sixers take out there? Uh, Am I allowed? Yeah, sure. Josh Richardson leads the team in scoring. You think so? No. But I, I do wonder if there's a possibility that he ends up being like a low-key 16, 17-point scorer on this team. And the reason I say it is because, like, I I know that everybody's going to have to get their points. I wouldn't be surprised if Richardson ends up working his way into a lot of, of uh, interesting groupings, we'll say, where he's going to end up having to be the lead scorer on, like, a second unit yeah. um, or, like, on, on some, like, weird matchups where I think he's going to be able to... Like, remember, when he played for Miami, especially last year, there was a, uh, a high emphasis put on his role in that offense and mm-hmm. I think maybe a little bit mm-hmm. too much. Now that he's going to be really what the third for, or the the fourth option probably offensively on yeah. this team you can argue like he's he's going to be what yeah he probably will be fourth right because you're going to figure the offense is going to run through Ben Tobias is going to get a lot of opportunities from deep Al Horford is still going to command a few shots um and then Ben Ben is going to be what he's going to be it's probably Josh Richardson's got to be your fourth option I, I wouldn't be surprised if like he gets himself into some advantageous matchups. He still is going to tower over a lot of the guys that he's going to be up against mm. just by virtue of the Sixers being so big. I I wouldn't be surprised. Like, would it shock you if if I told you that Richardson at the end of the season ends up you know putting seventeen points per game up? Would that shock you? No, I mean, well, last year he was putting up like sixteen. I think is what he finished with. You know, um, and then, yep. and Miami did play. I don't I don't claim to watch a lot of the Miami Heat when. Um, you know, when they're not a playoff team. But, you know, last year, I want to say, didn't they do a little bit? They, they played some Justice Winslow point guard for a while um, when Dragic was not in there. God, am I remembering this correctly? I can't remember. But, um, yeah, there's some different some different backcourt roles for them, too, um, where Richardson went from his three-point percentage was down last year, but his, his points were, were up. I mean, he, was, he went from 12.9 points per game to 16.6, so – and he played 73 yep. games, and Tobias played like 80, 82 games last year. So um, yeah. I think – no, I don't think that's a, a hot take really at all. I just think Tobias Harris is 
I just think he has a lot more to give. I think he's going to kind of be your, your volume scorer. Um, probably your best perimeter shooter right now, if you think about it, because he was down. I think people were down on, on Tobias Harris because they just didn't get maybe see as much out of him in the playoffs as they thought, but he was a 40% three point shooter when he came over from LA. I mean, he was playing at an all-star level. Like I don't think Sixers fans I, saw the saw the best of what Tobias Harris had to offer this year. I'm I'm actually most in, I'm probably most intrigued. Number one about if he if I had to give you like three storylines coming into the year. Number one, Ben is jump shot right. Number two, and Joel and like how he looks physically. I'm more interested, I think, to see how Tobias Harris looks, you know, with the new contract and like familiarity with the system, versus versus Horford and Richardson, honestly. Yeah, well, I think Tobias also is going to benefit from not having to kind of play that weird off game where it's like half the game you're playing with Ben Simmons as your your lead initiator and the other half it's Jimmy Butler. And yeah, I, I feel yeah. like there was just never yeah. real cohesion between Jimmy and Tobias. Well, I hope that answers uh, Dennis M's question because uh, over on Twitter at Y2Dennis asked how good can we expect Tobias Harris to be? Let me ask you this one because uh, another Sixers question well, came he's in. He's going to be defending. Yeah, I'm sorry. Quick point here too. He's going to be defending uh threes you know probably he's probably going to get matched on the on the twos also you know this year so that's another yeah. tweak for him I'm, i would i would say if if tobias's storyline number three then three a would be kind of his his switch from from going down and playing small forward you know kevin godfrey over on twitter at kw godfrey said uh will zaire smith or uh matisse Thibel have a uh, a bigger role this season what do you think? god man I, I don't know it's a good question because they're both like the exact they're both like the same player right now. Um, they're just lumping them into a kind of a wing competition this year with James Ennis and Furkan Korkmaz. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that is it a silent competition? It is a silent competition. I think, like, I honestly think the rotation would is going to be like, you know, Mike Scott, Kyle O'Quinn. I mean, you might see, well. You might see Joel come off, and you might see Horford go down and play five for a little bit, uh, and then like the the next su- wave of subs might be Horford off, and then they stagger it from there. But Mike Scott, James Ennis, um, we'll see what happens with with Trey Burke and Hal Hal Neto. Um, you know that's interesting with with TJ being out of the fold this year. But I, I still think Ennis and Scott are probably your two surest bets off the bench. I mean. I think, yeah, I mean, I think Matisse and Zaire are probably fighting each other for minutes, you know? Um, yeah. It's it's hard to say. I mean, they both kind of <laughs> – I feel like I was watching the same player in Summer League. Um, but Matisse, I mean, defensively, it's he just – he gets it. And um, Zaire just has a lot more athleticism than I, than I remember him having at Texas Tech. I mean, because I, I saw him in college because he played in the Big 12. But, uh, God, I, I think know. he's just been hitting the – he's probably just been hitting the gym hard. Yeah. I will not let Sesame take me down. Yeah, we have you know? defeated anyway the Sesame allergy. Uh, yeah, we we want to get through the rest of the questions that we got here. Uh, yeah. Were there yeah. any other ones that okay, you? Okay, this uh, is from uh, my guy ahead. Matt Sweeney. He says the underperformance of the Phillies and the Eagles so far, uh, under uh, after a ton of hype, has me very guarded when it comes to the Sixers. Uh, am I justified in being skeptical? No, no. Stop being a a Philly fan. Stop for a second. The Eagles are not disappointing. The Eagles are two drop passes away from He didn't say disappointing. Now. He he just said the under like he said underperformance. They've under they've guarded. I mean they're, they're two drops away he from says being he's guarded. Now. Listen, you can either have your heart guarded and never let anyone in or you can open yourself up to new experiences, right? 
I mean, maybe I've been watching too much of Bachelor in Paradise, you know, Bachelor in Paradise, where they... I, can you maybe explain this to me? Yeah. Bachelor in Paradise, because I know I know that you watch a lot of the uh, the Real Housewives things. I know that you say that it's your wife who makes you watch it, but let's be honest, it's no, it's you. dude. And even if um, I admitted to like watching Housewives because I wanted to, it would be better than f- fucking Bachelor in Paradise or whatever this terrible not, show you keep talking about on here. Um, let me ask you this though: when people say I want somebody who pushes me or somebody who challenges me, have you ever been in a relationship? where those words have ever been uttered? Uh, no. Because they say it all the time. They're like, I'm looking for somebody who pushes me. I'm looking for someone who challenges me. Well, that's me. stupid, because if, you can't, push yourself, if you can't stupid, push right? yourself or challenge yourself, then you're then what's the point? You know, you got to have somebody else. Yeah. Somebody else you need some intrinsic yeah, motivation. On, yeah. 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 All right, good. Governor Rendell, I don't even Governor know where Rendell I was taking would that, say that we're, in, we're becoming a nation of wussies. You know, that you need to go on the that bachelor the bachelor in paradise and say that you need somebody to you need to go on a game show to find a woman to tell her uh to motivate you who do you think uh which person do you think has has fallen from grace more like has more people feeling bad for them now ed rendell or joe biden 610 I got a serious question, man, because I didn't check. Uh, I was yeah. just because what happens is when I get to the weekend, I try not to go on Twitter because um, mm-hmm. it just like beats me up during the week. I just read. I just like I just get blasted over the head with like politics and and takes and stuff like that. And like one of one of the nice things is just like turning it off during the week and like disappearing up to Hawk Mountain or whatever, right? So, um, but the the angry bagel guy was supposed to fight Screech on Saturday night, right? But I that didn't happen, right? Did the bagel did the bagel boss pull out? The angry know. bagel guy, I think he pulled out. I didn't I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't I could not care less about that just fight. Laugh. Just laugh. It was a th- people clicked on it and it was just funny because it was ridiculous, you know. It wasn't like I was pushing it cuz I really really cared who was going to win. It was just like get a load of how crazy this shit. Okay, gang. Does it ever make you sad when like when a stupid thing like that ends up getting a lot of clicks? And then, like a really thoughtful breakdown of like film, gets like yeah. a quarter. Of any the, any of film, the any online. like Eagles film breakdown I do, where I do like images with like nice arrows and circles, or like video clips and stuff like that, only gets like maybe like forty percent of the clicks that like Lenny Lenny Dykstra versus the the Bagel Boss, you know. So that Jeopardy thing that I wrote, like that was that was a nothing viral. burger, like, like in terms of like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like that thing like blew up massively, and it was it's just okay. like three days later, we're still we're still getting notifications from like Facebook it's that just, it's like, I, this has been more engaging than ninety percent. I'm like, no, oh I mean, my God, I think like, I think is... people, I think readers are smart enough to understand that, like you know, some people just like the 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 cheap viral like laugh or whatever the hell, but I think we do at least yeah. a decent job of like trying to stay reputable with like some stuff that shows that maybe we actually do know a little bit about sports too but it is yeah it's like you know i always use the the comparison it's like it was like playing in a cover band when i played in a cover band like eight or nine years ago you'd spend like all this time where well i'll give you a true story we we used to play this place in gilbertsville all the time where i grew up and uh, we had a a female singer her name was lauren and so like well we got to like let's find some like we did like a like no doubt and shit like that because she sounded a bit like Gwen Stefani, Ooh. and we did. Um, Can she do a theme song for uh, for Crossing? Broadcast? We did. Um, she's uh, we're no longer the band is no longer active. We did. Uh, we did together. a Paramore song because um, they had, they had a chick singer too. It was called like uh, Misery uh, Misery Index Mis- uh, Misery Business, and we like practiced that one and. Um, 
we like just fucked it up. Like we just fucked up the whole song. And then at the end of the show, like all these people were coming up to us saying like, yo, that song was great. You did a great job with that. I'm like, really? Cause it was supposed to be double bass and there's only one kick pedal playing. But, um, and then like you do like a, like a shitty, like we did a, I don't know, fucking Foo Fighters or something like that. And then people would come up and say like, um, or you do you do one that you thought was like great, and people say, "Yeah, I didn't really like that song," you know. So it's it is a little disconcerting when like the the angry bagel guy gets like, uh, you know, eight thousand clicks, and then the the film breakdown of the Eagles game only gets like four thousand. But that's just uh, that's just life as a yep. as a writer, you know. Say la vie. I could la go vie to the athletic, and then I wouldn't have to do, um, you know, like Carson Wentz scratch his butt and it was caught on tape i wouldn't have to write those kinds of stories anymore but um no because you'd probably only have to write like one thing every uh three months or so okay never mind i shouldn't say things like that i upset i i made one comment about the athletic once and i had a bunch of people in my dms complaining that that uh we're not fair to the uh to the athletics so uh, oh, oh you made a twitter comment about it yeah, it's just, well, it's a different. And, and it's I a did different it on the model. podcast a couple of times. It's like they're they're just very different. Like we're we we are very different from them. Well, like it's two. Yeah, from, I mean, like, it's just two. It's two models. You know, um, I have a subscription. I probably pop on there like every other day, maybe. Um, you know, I read Derek and Rich and and Mike's Sixer stuff because it's all good. But um, yeah, it's safe to say that there's definitely two uh, two different two different approaches uh, to the business for sure. Yeah, I'm just watching a video right now of uh, Gabe Kapler hugging all of his mm. guys in the uh, in the dugout at the end of their game um, because you know they lost to the Marlins again. Let's just uh, let's swell. see if I got any more questions in here because we want to uh, we want to make sure we shout out all the people who took time to ask one. Um, Kevin Godfrey says, "Chances the birds trade for Ramsey." Uh, shit. I mean, because what's I mean, what's the latest? So Darby's out, Mills is out, Sidney Jones. We don't know. Uh, so you're starting corner Avante Maddox. We don't know. So your starting corners right now are Rasul Douglas and Craig James. Yeah, it's look. Would it be nice to trade for Jalen Ramsey? Sure, it would be lovely. The question sure. is like, how many picks do you want to give up for him? Sure. As sure, Ray Kevin. Does, I mean, Ray you know Donovan the answer to this. Sure. Oh man, yes, <laughs> Ray Donovan, who played. The iconic Ross the Boss Ray in the great hockey movie. That's a good Goon. one. We should add to uh, the soundboard. We should add of uh, um, Leave Schreiber sure. saying sure, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let me uh, let me put this one out here because here's a question. This is a, a Flyers question. Yeah. Believe it or not, there is a team. There's another. Yeah, there's man. a hockey team. An ice. An ice yeah, hockey team. Let's do team this question and then we'll touch on the seventh sport of the night and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Okay. With it. Okay, so uh, Flyers, of course, they're over in Switzerland right now uh, in der Schweiz for those uh, German speakers out there. Anyway, they're in uh, they're in Switzerland tomorrow. What they're uh, <laughs> they're playing uh, tomorrow, uh, or I guess it depends on when people are listening. They're playing on Monday. Um, they're playing one game in Switzerland. Um, it's like a kind of preseason ish game. They've trimmed the roster to twenty five by league rules. They can only have twenty three players on the roster. Uh, but one of them is Chris Stewart, who's on a uh, a PTO and won't count against the uh, the number until they sign him, if they sign him at any point this season. Last year, the Islanders carried a guy until, I think, February before they signed him. Um, to give you a little bit of perspective as well, like 
the NHL allows teams that travel to Europe to have extra guys traveling with the team. But when they go to uh, to play their season over on uh, Friday against the Blackhawks, they do have to submit a 23-man roster, which really isn't a big deal. Um, Nolan Patrick, of course, was diagnosed last week with a migraine disorder that prevented him from traveling with the team to Europe, which is a bummer for him, I'm sure. Um, but it, it all kind of comes back to, you know, he's had plenty of injuries, uh, you know, through his young playing career, um, even going back to college. And of course, you know, he had the hernia before his uh, rookie season, sports hernia. He's had concussion, uh, at least one concussion since he's been in the league. And this migraine disorder, it sounds like is something that that was diagnosed after meeting with many specialists. They couldn't isolate exactly what it was or if it was concussion related. And it, it turns out that I guess they're saying this is an independent thing of, of any concussion symptoms or post-concussion issues. But a lot of people have been comparing it to like Lindros and even some were comparing it to like Keith Primo. Um, the question here from uh, Chris Naffy was thoughts on Nolan Patrick and is the organization going to watch Morgan Frost very closely with the hopes of him being NHL ready? The only thing I can say is like the groin issue that Morgan Frost had took him out of the running for making the opening day roster, but I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up making this team at some point, even early in the season. Um, what they're looking to do, or I, I guess what they're going to do probably um, on Friday's, uh, you know, Friday's home opener is, or not home opener, their season opener um, in Prague against the Blackhawks is it looks like Connor Bunneman is going to be their fourth line center. They're going to bump uh, Scott Lawton up to the third line center. And it looks like Joel Farabee, who a lot of people have been excited about. He's a guy that we've talked a lot about on Snow the Goalie and and Press Row Show as being somebody who would be one to keep an eye on, is going to make the team. Bunneman, I believe, is also 21. And Carson Torinsky is a, another guy who I believe is 21, who had a really impressive camp last year. He followed that up with a really impressive camp this year. And he's a guy who's just been absolutely relentless on the puck. Um, and it, he's he's kind of played himself into a role here. The Nolan Patrick thing is really concerning on a, on a few levels, including the fact that, I, as I mentioned, like he's had injury issues in the past. Um, migraines are a tricky thing. Like my family has a history of migraine issues. My mom's got like chronic migraine problems where mm -hmm. it's like your options are either being in debilitating pain or taking medication that pretty much knocks you out, renders you effectively useless for hours on end. The problem, you know, here is going to be like, is this something that's manageable with medication or with some kind of treatment? Or is it going to be something where it's like the same kind of scenario, like the brain and, and the way that your mind works like they they are, I, I would say, arguably are the most complicated things that that happen in your body. Like they're the they're something that is so there's such a level of variance between people and people with migraine issues that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can really look to rely on him um, much at all, at least in the early going here. And like he's still been able to skate. So it's not like it's going to be a conditioning thing, but he has not been able to build any kind of chemistry with his teammates because he really can't be in any kind of contact mm -hmm. drills or any kind of contact settings. So, you know, if Morgan Frost recovers from the scoring injury in a somewhat respectable amount of time, and if, I don't know, if, if Connor Bunneman doesn't do a good job as the 4C, like maybe you end up seeing there be a shuffling and, and maybe they bring him up. I'm not sure. It's one of those things that I think we're going to pay close attention to on Snow the Goalie, but... I don't know how many people have been paying attention to the uh, one, two, and three preseason uh, record flyers, but there have been other positives. But you know, that's that's where yeah, we're at. I've I've never um, had migraines before, but I've 
been around people who've had the issue and it's just like they they use they all use the same word they use the word uh debilitating it, i yeah. was just about to say they all say the same the, they, they all do the same the word, word. Yeah. well because really it's it's like go into a dark room take some kind of yeah. medication and just hope to fall asleep and when when you wake up a few hours later just hope yeah it's i mean gone. the only thing that i can say do. i mean you know you take some hard like shots to the head sometimes you get like jarred if you take like a soccer ball off the head when you're playing as a defender or something like that's the worst if if that's the worst thing that like i've ever had related to that i can't even like i can't even imagine what uh you know real like real migraines and like, like chronic uh, issues are like you know because if you because i know how yep. shitty i feel after something minor like that you know I, like i couldn't even imagine like playing hockey and like having to deal with something like that but I mean, we'll yep. see. Um, Prague, man, I don't know. Um, it's such a weird flyer schedule to start. Like I'm like Prague, then what? Five days off, and then New Jersey, and then yep. West Coast, Western Canada. It's like I don't know. It's and the Sixers yep. have a funky start too. They have a lot of games on the road. There's gonna be a lot of weird, like late nights. <laughs> in October and November aren't there it's just kind of funky and then the Sixers have these like a bunch of like they have a couple of home back-to-backs on weekends this year I swear to god I think there's like two Friday Saturdays in a row where they're both home games or something um there's some weird scheduling things going on that's why I went to we're gonna make it work to Hawk Mountain now to get the hell out of out of Dodge while I still can man we came down yeah we stopped at Saucony Creek the way home and that's the running joke on the crossing broad slack chat that i do i don't do anything except go to breweries but um it's a nice time man never had a bad time at one so why the hell not you know yep there came you go. down came home down uh 662 we went through fleetwood uh we saw the great mac the great village of Oli. Um, yeah, we, oh, yeah, yeah, Valley, yeah, we came okay. down, uh, through Amityville and, uh, Douglasville with two S's Douglasville. Um, yeah, it was like, it was like I was in high school again, driving from Boyertown to Reading every other day to play sports and then Boyertown joined the pac 10. So then we started playing like Pottsgrove and Pottstown and Perk Valley and Phoenixville and stuff. So half of us lived in Monco. The other half lived in. Berks County, but because the school was physically located like 10 feet inside of Berks County, we played like Wilson and Exeter and Governor Mifflin and all those assholes all the time. So, Woof. Yep. Woof. All right. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, of how about, uh, how about the Overwatch thing? <laughs> oh, um, I know. I'm just kidding. They're not, they're not, no, they're, they're not, not bad assholes. people at all. I didn't know what they're you not. were getting to. They're I just not. Said there's, assholes. there's the, uh, the fusion, the fusion, fusion arena. arena. There's a lot going on. Happened. I feel like I did like three uh, esports stories this week. We broke ground on the fusion arena. Uh, the Bud Light truck showed up today. Did they move? I guess they moved the truck. Did we move the payload from lot? Uh, Google that real quick. Google me. Um, we we had the Overwatch grand finale at the Wells Fargo Center today. Some band that I've never heard of played outside. Uh, for the first time since Metallica played there in the 90s, actually, I believe. Um, I wrote that story, and now I can't remember what was in it. But uh, esports are the future, as that guy in the comments section likes to say, you know? Um, and I saw, like... He tagged us in the uh, in the tweet about the groundbreaking, and then I saw Aton was uh, upset because I guess he's tried to reach out oh. to some people before, and they've, they've well, ghosted Well, I have the esports hookup in Philadelphia, so I'll do what I do. I will do the hookup. I will build bridges. I will build esport bridges. But for real, man, the um, the Fusion Arena looks really cool. It's just kind of like a like a um, 
fuck, what would you even call it? It looks more like a like an amphitheater kind of setup. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like a, all yeah. looking down diagonally at one stage. It's not like a round arena. It's kind of like a uh, like a hundred twenty degree kind of John or whatever the hell. Um, they're also adding the third story that I wrote was that they're adding a, a local host to the Wells Fargo Center itself. So you're gonna there's gonna be some section in the Wells Fargo Center now where you can just go and play video games, play computer games. So during Woo-hoo. the dead the dead time between Brett Brown's pregame press conference at five fifteen before the game starts at seven o'clock, instead of sitting in the shitty media area and eating shitty food, I might just fuck off and play Diablo. There you go. That actually sounds really nice. Also, too, because I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking about like all those times that I went down to Wells Fargo Center, got there at like four o'clock, like, how sat much, around how for time sat around for like three hours in press sitting, row, sitting in uh, sitting in there and whatever the fuck. Did you have you been down there for Flyers preseason anything? Okay, I have so not. we I have not. I'm. It's. Uh, I checked no. out the. I did twenty five. I checked out the the we. I went down and did the story where they introduced us to the new balcony down there. With the $25 standing room only ticket and all that, all that jazz, you know? Um, yeah. It's actually pretty cool. Um, I don't know how they're going to fit a thousand people up there. It looked like kind of small for a thousand people, but they basically blew out the line of suites on the, on the balcony up there. And now you have like a row of seats that's called Revolutionary Row, where those are sold as like a separate season ticket package. But the $25 guy gets you access to the ledges, like, the wrap around it so you can stand right behind those seats and look down. Um, and there's like a full kitchen up there. There's like two bars. Um, there's like fireplaces and um, like couches and stuff like that. It doesn't exactly scream ice hockey to me or, or a hockey as you guys say. Um, it doesn't as every, as literally every other person on the planet says, except ice for hockey. you. I don't know. It's fucking hockey on ice. It's not field hockey. Like, it's hockey. You just, it's say, hockey. you just say hockey. Field because hockey it's the is only field hockey. You watch hockey. Like, what if you watch yeah. field hockey? Do you call field hockey hockey? You call it field no. hockey. Do you field hockey no. people field call hockey field, hockey, is, hockey, field hockey? hockey? No, field hockey is field hockey. Hockey is hockey. Nobody says, and I guess if you play roller hockey, no, but it's this roller is not hockey. like fucking Kleenex and tissue. Why, says, why does ice hockey get no. the? Why does who, ice hockey get hockey? There's other fucking types of it. Why can't field hockey be hockey? Because there, are, okay, there are three kinds of hockey, right? There's ice hockey, which is hockey. There's field hockey, which is field hockey. There's roller hockey, which is roller hockey. Yeah, right? but why did they're all they're what all you, fucking what, hockey? What is so, so why hard does to understand? Get to Nobody calls. Why do they get to do you call arena football? Do you call arena football football? No, it's you call football. it arena football. Why can't they call it football? Why don't they call because it outdoor football? Why don't we call it outdoor oh, football? Oh, the Philadelphia Soul. What are the Philadelphia Soul? Oh, they're an what arena, arena football team. Nobody says, what oh, they're a football What if you're an arena football team? diehard and you, and you want to just call that football and you think the, you know, the Eagles are that? outdoor football? I don't fucking... That's not the point. The point nobody is like do, you guys have like hegemony over the fucking like the oh, word because on. it's your sport or whatever like it's ice hockey it's hockey played on ice it's ice hockey it's hockey it doesn't fucking matter this Nobody is not calls, fucking canada no, i can say whatever i want to say it does no, matter i'm gonna call it whatever the fuck it's called from hockey. now on i'm not calling it hockey anymore. i'm gonna call it fucking ice hockey because i want to the next time i drive past a high school and there's like a field yeah. hockey game going on i'm gonna yeah. get out of my car i'm gonna go walk up i'm gonna like walk onto the field stop yeah. the game right and before security comes and pulls me aside i'm gonna say does anybody call this just hockey and when all the kids are like no it's field hockey. 
I'm going to report back after I get it's out a of game, jail. The game okay? of hockey is played on a stick on a surface. You can play it on the ice. You can play it on a field. You can play it on a, in fucking rollerblades. You know, like it doesn't matter. Like I don't me. give a shit. It's not the Flyers aren't good enough to to be having this conversation. Oh, but, here we go. Here um, we go. But anyway, the last thing I'll say is, yeah, it looks like it looks like a good. It looks like a decent idea. I don't. I don't. Um, they're going to price it differently for Sixers games, like maybe like $20 to $40, something like that. But I, I assume you still got to pay the service fees and shit like that. So like a $25 standing room ticket would be what 30 Take up to like $85. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, well, it's, it's even, I mean, the worst is like, I remember I went to see like Megadeth at the fucking Susquehanna, whatever the hell it's called now. I don't even know what it's called anymore. I still call it the tweeter center in Camden, but, um, you pay eighteen dollars for the ticket. You pay ten dollars for the service charge. You pay like twenty dollars to park. So you pay twenty eight dollars for yeah. all the bullshit, and eighteen for the actual show. It's just like a fucking travesty, man. It's like outrageous. There you go. So, um, but let's end on a positive note. Uh, Eagles two and two, and they're going to be three and two this weekend. So look at that. We are a hey, positive. Hey. Uh, we're not neg. We're not negadelphia. We're positive. Positive. Welcome positive to positive yeah. I think that's what we're. Right, cool. I already did the uh, podcast stuff off the off the top of the episode, so I guess this is okay. it, my friend. Well, uh, I want to shout out again uh, the listener who I met at Hawk Mountain. Sorry, man, I forgot your name. I, I should have like remembered that, but uh, it was nice meeting you. So thanks for the, the shout. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Wow. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody who listens, and uh, we'll be back again either later this week or uh, at the worst next Monday as we break down uh, the Eagles week. Uh, week yeah. Five